Well, hello again, this is Shane, and this is Heartlines, and I hope you are well. And on this episode, episode 65, I thought I'd go the Eurovision Song Contest route, because it's coming up very shortly in May, so I thought I'd bring on a winner of the Eurovision Song Contest from 1993, and she's also co-host of her own podcast, Agony Rants, and it was the one and only Nia Kavanagh, and she was a blast to have on. She was so nice and very uh, welcoming with her spirit and her time as well and i hope you enjoyed this episode if you want to listen to more episodes get on the podcast heartlines i've got 64 more episodes for you to listen to and without further ado i'll let you go on ahead and listen to Eve kavanagh and enjoy the episode and i'll talk to you later hey <laughs> what's going on have you got me shane i have good? yeah yeah all good yeah. good 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 lovely how are you not too bad yourself <laughs> Grand. Ran all the way up in Carrickford. Where are you? I'm in Dublin. Yeah, I'm in Tala originally myself. So been living there most Dublin. of my life. Yeah, a little bit of Tala, nothing like it. <laughs> Whereabouts in Tala? Are you? Um, over by the mill. You know the mill. Well, mm-hmm. you see, you see Bridge of Burks. Yep. Um. So yeah, not too far from the Civic. I'm sure. Have you have you performed in the Civic? Oh yeah, lots of times, mm. lots of times. You know, in different guises, as myself and as um, and as uh, the illegals, and then also with Rob Murphy and a few other people just doing projects and stuff. I love the Civic; it's great. Like, yeah, it's great. we had. Um, I, I used to date a guy from Killinarden over there. So, so oh, look at you! <laughs> yeah, no, back in the olden days, like <laughs> Jeez, before the yeah. M fifty took you all the way across. So it was like a, a commitment of some sort. <laughs> Right, we've we talked a bit. So where are you from? Are you from Dublin? I'm a Dublin girl. I was born and bred, uh, born in the Coombe and uh, spent the first seven years of my life in Ballymun in the four-storey flats, you know, the four-storey flats. Uh, and oh, yeah. went to Holy Spirit School when I was seven, turning eight. Uh, we moved after I made my communion in a very flouncy dress, let me tell you, uh, and sort of fur stole. Um, I went to Fingless South. Uh, we moved up in the world and actually bought a house in Fingless South in Gertmore, which was kind of a new development there. So um, it wasn't quite as far up in the world as I'd say we wanted to go, but it was definitely up there. Uh, loved it. Absolutely loved growing up there. It was really fun. You know, lots of lo- great people, mostly boys my age in my estate. So I spent a lot of time with a bunch of blokes uh, and, uh, and being the boss of them and went to school in Cabra. So I used to walk to school. I mean, God, child services and be involved in it today. <laughs> I knew how far I walked. So I went to, I went to school in Cabra, which was maybe a couple of miles away. So I used to mm. walk over there to the convent. A good girl, convent girl over there. Yeah, and because the three, of, I had two older sisters. So in order for my mum to get us all into school, that was the only place they could get all three of us in at that time. You know, so I think that was the logic. I'm not 100% sure. There's plenty of good schools in Fingless. I don't know why we weren't in them, but we yeah. were in Cabra. Um, and actually that's where I finished up my education. So I, and then when I, so we lived in like Fingless out till I was 20, 21. And then we moved to Fingless East as we would have called it, but became Glasnevin North. And so <laughs> the whole issue of Fingless Glasnevin thing is a big thing. So that's kind of, but I lived in Dublin until I was 30. Um, although you could argue the 10 years, basically in my 20s, I spent a lot of time traveling. So maybe I didn't quite live in Dublin, but I was, that yeah. was where my residence was. And mm. um, I moved up north when I met my husband. I moved up to the north of Ireland. So I live in Carrickfergus now for the last 
24 years, which essentially means I'm coming up to nearly as long living up here as I will be down there. So good for the pensions, like, because obviously I'll get both pensions when the time comes, but not so much for the accent, because my ear just picks up whatever accent I'm listening to. So I need a lot more dubs in my life now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you've gone, you've gone north, 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 north now. You, you, you're north, Very north. north. <laughs> Further Texas. north. Next is probably maybe Iceland, possibly up into yeah. you know, the North Pole itself. You know, I'm actually pointing up there. I don't know why I'm doing that. <laughs> now we know, like, um, like Carrie Ferguson is a great song. The first thing you must have been, yeah. you must be singing all the time because yeah? <laughs> it's a, it's a well known song. <laughs> But funny enough, I've only ever sung it about a handful of times. I don't mm. know why. I, I, to be fair, Mary Black gets that call before I do. You yeah, know, yeah, Mary yeah, or Dolores yeah, yeah. will get the call before I do to sing traditional songs. I, although I'm quite good at them, but you know that's. Uh, <laughs> but it is a brilliant song, no doubt did, about it. Like, you must have started like because I can see the, the energy enthusiasm you have for like yeah. performance. You, did you start very young? Did you go to performance school, or were you in the choir? Or what? How did you start off kind of singing? Yeah. How did you get the bug? I know the bug is a big thing, isn't it? Like uh, it is. My mother, my mother says, you know, I was born with a strider in my throat, which basically meant I didn't make a noise for the first 10 days of my life, uh, which means basically I've been making up for it ever since, you know, so mm-hmm. <laughs> making as much noise as I can. <laughs> They're singing or talking. Um, and I always say that the reason I do both is because it's the one, only thing I could do louder and better than my two older sisters who already fulfilled quite a lot of the boxes, you know, that they uh, did. I always love to sing. It was always, it's like breathing for me. It's still essentially even though I do it as my job I yeah. do it because it's very much a part of who I am and um I'd like to think that when people come and see me sing or they hear me sing that they witness that it's not although yes I am making my money but realistically I'm doing something that is intrinsically important to me as a person my mum often jokes about the fact that if you open the fridge door I was away so basically any light upon me made me sing or <laughs> <perform>. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I didn't do performance school. I didn't, you know, back in my day, there wasn't as many performance schools. There's mm. wonderful performance schools now and they're all encompassing. Everybody gets a shot. Back then, you was Billy Barry or nothing like near enough. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I wasn't quite Billy Barry material, you know, because, uh, you know, the dancing is not really my forte. Singing is really what I do. Um, I was in training with the Belcanto School of Training. Um, in my teens, I started doing that. So I was more in choirs and I was a soprano and uh, as I used to say in secondary school I was a soprano and waiting because there was one much better than me a couple of years ahead and I kept waiting for her to leave Uh, so I could get the starring role and uh, when it finally happened and she left and I thought this is it this is my year I don't have to sing you know the tenor ones or the um, the altos arias now I can be the soprano and then they invited her back because she was so good so yay but no I used to you would find me singing in church or in choruses or choirs I never did stage but Productions until kind of my mid-teens I did a couple up in Benevon School which is a boys school in Glasnevin and I went there because it was a boys school and I had a much better chance of getting a part yeah. and so essentially um, I did a couple there with a guy called Derek O'Donoghue who used to direct them and he was really really fab at all of that stuff and he went on to do a lot of the top stuff and all afterwards I still was basically cast as a singer uh, <laughs> sometimes I had a name sometimes not so that's where I met um, in, in when I was 17 
the guys who used to play guitar and run the kind of music side of that had a wedding band and they needed a replacement for their singer um, for a night or two and I decked in and very kindly blew the speakers because um, I'd never used a microphone in that way before <laughs> and projection was all about it mm. and that's kind of the, the first time I sung that kind of music because I always had done other types I mean I don't get me wrong growing up it was all about Aretha, Etta James, uh, Sarah Vaughan you know Ella uh, Fitzgerald's you know really earthy singers really beautiful singers mm. and great storytellers all of that uh, so that's what I sang at home but I never thought I was going to be allowed to sing that anywhere uh, um so um I joined my first band when I was basically 18 years of age and never looked back and never really did the choral thing after that so that was okay now describe a sequence of events that led you to participate in and then eventually winning Eurovision 1993 like that's one like because Eurovision is something very much like in the early days Ireland were very much on the map you know so how did you get into how did you get into get uh, mm-hmm. applying to get into Eurovision and then of eventually winning it you know yeah well actually funny and it's a funny th- it's a funny kind of thing because we look back into the 90s and we have our rose colored glasses on and say yeah. oh Ireland were so well regarded and all that we actually weren't particularly <laughs> <laughs> you know obviously Dana won in 1970 I was less aware of that until I got older mm. uh, I was very aware of Johnny winning in 1980 and again in 87 by 87 I was gigging so I was slightly jaded you know yeah. like musician who, who would do Eurovision like man and there was that element of it uh, although I did admire him and I watched Eurovision every year at some way or another um, I would have recorded on the old VCR back in the day because obviously you know you couldn't just stream things then and I was usually gigging you know but um, yeah I, I guess um, every year from the time I kind of became known in the industry, which kind of started happening probably a couple of years after I did uh, when I done the dance band, which is more when I was about 20. And um, I was in a dance band traveling the country and doing what they would have called a show band circuit, I suppose, back in the day. Like, so it was yeah. all kind of big venues and we did the hits of the day. And then about then I started maybe getting approached by people who were writing songs for the Eurovision, would I sing this, that, and the other? And at that time, I had started working with songwriters because I wanted to get experience in the studio. I wanted to do something different. And they would come and say, will you sing a, a, a passel of songs? And, you know, so I would go in and sing whatever songs they sang, or they think in like little tiny garages everywhere like and I think I did anything that would give me experience in mm. doing something different in it and but I never really saw my path going down Eurovision roads actually um I I was a voice for hire for a long time and loved it enjoyed that whole thing because obviously I wasn't going to be a singer full time that was like that's not a real job so my mother yeah. told me mm-hmm. so <laughs> uh, you know it wasn't back then it wasn't considered a real job so I kept my good job in the bank and then I did sessions based on what I loved and joined bands and then I auditioned for the in 1990 and was a bit surprised actually to keep going through the audition process because I had read the novel and said there's no part for me in that I'm a good girl (laughs) I'm a lovely girl I don't even curse like what's this about I don't even know how I do it but I kept getting through and Alan Parker very kindly said that if it was on voice alone I'd have been in but uh, he quite rightly 
you know, employ the people. He did and cast them and quite rightly had a fantastic thing. But he did very kindly ask me to sing on the soundtrack, which was very thrilling. And so I did that and didn't think another thing about it. Went away, uh, holidayed on the session fee I got, did all that and then mm-hmm. got this whole thing. But it introduced me into a new group of people. This is way before even the movie came out. So this is like I'm 22 years of age. I've just done recorded the sessions in 1990. It's a full year before the actual film comes out. But I met a lot of musicians and John Hughes was a musical producer who actually went on to manage the cores and all that afterwards. And um, myself and himself got on really well. And then he introduced me to the wonderful Bill Whelan who uh, would be best known for Riverdance, et cetera, et cetera. And actually what we did together originally was do gravy ads, a lot of gravy ads and stuff like that. So he did a lot of that. (laughs) So I I, I was, again, a voice for hire. So I was doing all that kind of stuff. And he introduced me to a guy called Brendan Graham, who went on to win with Rock and Roll Kids and The Voice afterwards. Brendan was uh, entered into a song contest in Glinsk in... uh, I think it's Sligo, Mayo, around that area. Anyway, so that I met him in a car park in the Lucan Spa Hotel. And basically we drove up to Glensk learning the song on the way up, having the lols about music and whatnot. And we went up and we very uh, excitingly became came second in the Glensk <laughs> song contest. And he was the publisher for In Your Eyes. So uh, when I uh, came to Eurovision in 1993, um, uh, Jimmy rang me who wrote the song uh, he asked me to sing in your eyes I always say send me the song um, although I didn't see Eurovision as being in my future I was quite happy doing what I was doing and I was playing in very good bands and doing all the things that I wanted to do and um, I just really liked the song <laughs> and Jimmy said to me you can make this anything you want Neve." and I thought well, what's the worst that can happen? I can go on TV. Nobody knows who I am anyway, so it's no big deal. I can go on and sing well on TV. That can't be a bad thing. And yeah. uh, not realising what was ahead of me. <laughs> and I really absolutely love the song. And that's actually the main reason I did it. It was not about doing Eurovision or because I had no real knowledge of what Eurovision would be until uh, that first night that I did the song contest, you know, the actual song contest. I don't think I really knew what it entails until that night and it opened up this world that I was ill prepared for but also absolutely love it I absolutely love visiting it I don't live there I absolutely love visiting it I love the people involved but it was quite amazing because you just don't realize what a what a community it is as itself you know so that was the thing so that's that's kind of how I fell into it and I wasn't going to do it and I really literally agreed about a week before they announced all of the entrance in it and because uh, Jimmy said he probably would withdraw the song if I couldn't sing it he felt that there wasn't many people who could sing the song because it had a, a reasonable range in it yeah. I mean I made it even bigger range when I sang it because it was one of those magic moments back in the time but um, it, you know essentially it needed a, a good range and a good strong singer to sing it mm. um, so that was his his desire and that was me and um, I, I think I made the decision with my heart and actually once I decided to do it like I do when I do decide to do things, I was committed to it. And so I felt proud of it, you know, in that, in that sense. So, yeah, that was a bit surprising. I didn't expect to find myself in Eurovision back in the day, but I did. <laughs> and God, thank God. 
but what was it like? Like, what, what it takes behind the scenes? Because as as some of mm-hmm. watching at home, you know, the glitz yeah. and the glam. What's it like? Like behind the scenes, like getting prepared for you know the actual show the event yeah it's 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 involved i mean the thing is if you're talking about the actual week of it or the actual just the one show or are you talking Uh, well let's say the run-up to it so like the 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 the, the, the sessions the kind of like the rehearsals and then the actual show you know when the lights and the camera the action and whoever marty whelan's on whoever's or you know (laughs) terry wogan whoever whoever is doing marty and larry back in the day yeah marty and larry there you go (laughs) yeah no actually you know it's funny really because it really starts from the moment you win the euro song it really starts mm. there like the night you win it you go you get thrust into this community yeah. i remember afterwards going upstairs into the um into the to the top of the point they had the kind of balcony in the point and they had this kind of party up there and all the fans literally that's it i was indoctrined i was like oh okay hello uh, <laughs> so i was like wow i hadn't really kind of come across this to be the focal of it i mean i'd spent a lot of time with the commitments and all the things i'd done and you know been very successful in that and yet people didn't recognize me so I kind of expected it to be the same but it, that's not the way it works with tv anyway so uh, I got that kind of went up there and that kind of went and starts so you start kind of the plan how you're going to make this work I went from you know uh, working 14 interviews a day I was doing a lot of things and of course obviously because it was being held in Ireland there was an element of the local girl so you were asked to do a lot of kind of civic things it was a bit slow to start but then you have to prep the track we had to record the song there was all sorts of shenanigans people didn't want to to record it none of the record companies wanted to do it uh, because they didn't think it was worth their while and um and I can understand because they you know it's all about whatever one of them offered to me a thousand punts if uh, just to sign with them and then if if we won they would have recorded it which was unacceptable to the three of us yeah. myself Brendan and Jimmy so uh, we actually paid to record it between us the three of us and uh, basically we went to um Frank McNamara and recorded the song and then I had to go and do the video you know the pre-video down in Killarney this is all going on it's all just stuff 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 Mm. stuff and being introduced out into the new world and doing a lot of press and stuff and then suddenly um the week comes you know the week that you have to go and at that time Bosnia where the was their first year in and so the weekend previous uh because obviously it was only a week then so we weren't due to go down till the Monday on the train down into Cork and what we did was <laughs> our you know uh Killarney and Cork which is where we was mostly based uh we <laughs> we they flew me down on the Saturday to welcome the Bosnian um contingency and and say you know welcome to Ireland we're so excited to hear and then they flew me back and then I got the train on the Monday with the you know that's it now know your place get on that train and go down mm. and actually I really enjoyed it. the train was great crack and so we went down and so then you you faced the week back then it was a week so basically you did uh the civic ceremony when you arrived and then my first rehearsal was the next morning so it was Tuesday morning and my both my rehearsals were 10 o'clock in the morning that's like really joyful when you're trying to sing a big song and you have to come in on the bus from Killarney and it was you know the civic ceremony was the night before so it was a bit of a shenanigan the night before and I was a good girl now I didn't go mad but then so you had to get up do your rehearsal first time rehearsal you watch your rehearsals on a little tv uh, when I went back in 2010 it was a much bigger tv with high definition which is a real shocker uh, I tell you. but um you know the thing is you watch it and you 
plan, what way, and the head of delegation who's also mm. director, we talked about how it looks, what we what we like, what we don't like. So you do a 20 minute rehearsal and then you go out into the Green Glens area to go home and then all the fans are there and people are there to see you. So, and then I was doing a lot of interviews because obviously local girl, there were three civic receptions that week and every delegation back then used to have a party. So you'd have a two hour party where you go and throw your head in as much as you could. Some of them were concurrent. So you had to decide which country you like better. And so you <laughs> went to them, but you went to, you know, you went to all these different kind of places and you uh, put your head in and all the contestants and you kind of, by the end of the week, you want everybody to win because you're all mates. And then you've forgotten why you're there because basically you're doing all these events. And then Friday comes and Friday morning you get up and you realize you have two dress rehearsals the second of which at that time, or, sorry, two dress rehearsals that day, full dress, full everything. And then the same again the next day, which is your dress rehearsal in the afternoon, which oh. back then was when the juries voted. And then your evening performance, which was when, the, you know, you all saw it. And so basically by the time I did the show on the Saturday night, I was already kind of, A, I, you know, I was going, oh, this is why I'm here. And B, because, you know, you're kind of sitting there going, oh my gosh, this is like, I have lived this show four times, incomplete. Uh-huh. So you get fully done up, dressed, the whole enchilada for full, like four whole shows and you go through the full system. And it's quite involved because they have to go through all those little places to get into where you are. By the time you do it, then I suppose that makes it much more calming then because uh-huh. you're, you know, you've done it and they know because it's a huge machine, this this program. Mm. So, um, yeah, it was it was a very exciting to do it. But get, you know, getting all dolled up, you know, for for four shows in a row is not ideal for me. Like I'm, I'm very like, you know, Tom girl. <laughs> was it very was it very pageantry to a sense because you had to be very like prim proper for the, the cameras and stuff like that, you know, whereas as, as a as you say, a musician for hire or singer for hire, mm. it's different. Was it like that? Yeah, no, it is. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 the focus changed almost immediately after that mm. night in in the Eurosong. Yeah. The focus changed from me becoming a voice for hire to basically an artist. Yeah. They're looking at you in a very different way. And you're right, that does require something very different of you. And it took me quite a while. But my, I mean, the initial kind of thing was fine because I was used to being performer, central performer. Yeah. You know, it wasn't my voice for hire was never mostly not for background because I don't have that kind of voice. I have a very definite personality, both vocally and as a person, you know, very hard to keep baby in the corner, as they say. You know, it's very hard. Like I, I find it very hard, like not to be like, Ta-da! <laughs> so, so it's like, you know, it's kind of not really been my forte. So, uh, you know, generally speaking, I, it wasn't that I wasn't used to being center attention doing my job but it is quite a different thing to adjust from a few hundred people maybe in front of you although I had done the commitments so I'd done the Grammys and all that but it is very hard to adjust that to 350 million people are watching me so you just deal with who's in the room let's be honest like 3,000 people you just deal with them because it's enough it's enough to be dealing with them let alone what's happening at home I didn't find it massively different because when I did I did the commitments and we went to the, the Grammys in 92 I noticed very much that people, these exceptional people who were my heroes growing up, weren't doing anything different to what I do on stage. So uh, the job to me is the same, whether I'm playing for seven people or 350 million people. To me, the job Mm. is the same. It's about 
being really, really focused and doing the right thing and just in being in, in the moment. It doesn't mean you're not nervous. It just means that you focus your performance on the performance as much as and connecting. So if it's up to 3000 people or even one person sitting in front of you, that's what it's about. It's not yeah. about, you know, that. So for me, that's how I rationalize it. So, yeah, it is. It is a big change. And actually, the biggest change was after I won. You know, that was like, holy God. Now, what the hell am I going to do with that? Like, mm. and, uh, you know, we weren't even signed. So we were in a good place, actually, because we were able to say, you know, sell it for the highest bidder, which was really amazing. Is, but, yeah. Yeah. Is that is it a song you're selling or is it like if when you win, like I've never really understood what, what are your your vision song contests win or wins? Is it a contract? Yeah. Is it do you travel around Europe? And kind of go to different shows how, how does it work well that's kind of interesting actually because it means all of those things and not and none of those things right okay. because actually essentially the eurovision song contest is a song contest mm. right we all know it as a big tv show yeah. right that's what it is for us a big yeah. tv show it's a big extravaganza we love the songs in it quite a few of them have been incredibly successful over the years and you know um the thing about in your eyes um is that you know it was written by jimmy walsh so essentially you look at me and you say i'm the eurovision winner from 1993 but mm. i actually technically sang the eurovision winner the eurovision oh. winner was actually jimmy right so that's you know that's the technicality okay. we all know the face we're all looking at the face it's all about yeah. the hair we all know about the hair, right? The yeah, red haired yeah. one won it, right? That's yeah, it. Yeah. And and I will I'll accept that, you know, because obviously the performance I think sometimes is as important as the song. It's the combination. And it's quite often true of a lot of songs. You know, it's it's the combination of the performance and the thing. So that's what it is. And the zeitgeist at the time as well. You know, there's all of those things. So the thing is, what I won uh, that year, they gave the singer or performer a gift also. So I got an Irish Dresden doll, which was quite tall and very expensive and has been in bubble wrap in a packing case for ever since because I have small ch I had small children boys afterwards I traveled so much and all that but I had nowhere to put this thing right. <laughs> you know this beautiful piece of Dresden which is like you know one-off and you yeah, know yeah. that's amazing but what yeah. the hell do I do with that uh you know so I, I, I still have it you know someday I'm mm. gonna roll it out and has a little plaque that says presented to the original winner at some point somebody in my future will go oh my god that's amazing right as long as your vision's still alive that you know that's that is a thing um but actually um so i did actually get something he got the actual award which was a waterford crystal thing but what they oh. they get a they get money obviously because all those tv companies uh pay you for your performance so therefore yeah you get paid a certain PRS. And the thing is, if you win, you get double it because obviously you get to sing it twice. There's that element. Um, but actually for me personally, it meant that uh, because we were free and clear, there was a bit of a war over bidding for me. And I signed to Arista Records in London and Brennan and Jimmy were wonderful because they could have got a bit more money going to another company, but they went with the company basically that allowed me to record an album, which was very good of them. So we kind of all took the chances together, which I will be a eternally grateful to them for you know because they could have got more money in another company but they they didn't want to move beyond that necessarily you know so but um for me personally in your eyes did very well across europe you know wasn't trailblazing but it did well i was on i traveled across europe for a whole year i mean honestly so many places so many things got on all these fantastic tv programs and did traveled immensely and um really it opened up the next 
almost 30 years of my life to a gift that keeps on giving because your yeah. vision still exists. And so therefore, you know, if I want to, I can visit it and be successful in it and really love it and share the stories. But really, that's what it is. And so, and but like anything in this industry, it's what you make of it. It's, you know, you get a platform, you see it today with the likes of the X Factor and all that. It's what you do with that. It, it, the, the thing that makes you successful is not the actual event itself. It may make you memorable for that moment or give you the opportunity, but it's what you do with it beyond that, that, that really makes it successful. So everybody's experience is slightly different, but it, it's essentially, we'll start with there. You know, and the likes of Maniskin, who I feel already knew where they were going, they're already going to be amazing, you know, so they're, they're already on the road. I mean, when they're doing Saturday Night Live, you know, within less than a year since Eurovision, it means they already have a path, you know, yeah. so that's, you know, why. And my argument is there's lots of people who poo poo the Eurovision situation, but with 350 million people watching all over the mm. world you only need one percent to like what you like and have a lot of views so yeah. why would you not miss that opportunity you know i just don't i don't get it i just don't get why people don't see it as making it what you want on the night you know so that's that's what it should be there's not enough people to take yeah. that opportunity no there's not and that's probably what it is it's probably seen because i actually i actually looked up uh about Eurovision, and I found as a, a Dutch university in, in Groningen in in Netherlands. Okay, yeah, they done a peer review on the Eurovision and seeing what, what's the story of Eurovision, what's what's the deal with it like, and and um, it says that it, it's a, it was a platform for new acts around Europe. Okay, so unknown acts, as you said, you you said you're unknown, but it gave you a sure. platform. Yeah, except for ABBA, Celine Dion, a few others across the way. Uh, 1957, there's two singers max on stage. 71 went to six performers. 89, it went to 16 youngest. The oldest you could be, or the youngest you could be is 16. And the mm -hmm. minimum, minimum was three minutes for a song. And Luxembourg yeah. have won it five times with a non-native singer. Yep. And Italy, right. Italy can choose, Italy are legally, well, legally or whatever, allowed to be in the show because of the San Remo Festival. There you That's go. right. Yeah. They, they chose not to take that. Fair play to them. That's no, right. yeah, they they absolutely. It's a it's a very interesting dynamic, you know. Yeah. Because I I know stuff about Eurovision. I know and I understand, you know, an awful lot of it because the fans do educate you. There's no mm -hmm. doubt about it. And mm -hmm. um, you're right, Abba and Celine Dion kind of come beyond it. But there's been a lot of people involved who are already established involved. Yeah. I would say that maybe Abba wouldn't have been established outside of their space before Waterloo. And that helped them. And you would have to say that Celine Dion also falls under that heading in regards to elements. Not necessarily. That's not the reason that she became mega. I think yeah. that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about sometimes people have their path and something. It doesn't necessarily impede you. I think what happens is that people sometimes have a concept of what Eurovision is. <laughs> and um, actually, they have a far healthier concept on the continent than they do in in the you know, I suppose the UK and Ireland, we, we tend to be a little bit like Asher, Asher, you know, and it's yeah. mostly comes to the media. But the funny part of it for me is when I'm out and about, it's it still shocks me how many people recognize me, you know, age groups, whatever from it. They absolutely love your vision. They talk about your vision, even if they think it's silly they still know a hell of a lot about your vision and they're invested in it so you know essentially for me it is a wonderful it's one of those few tv shows in the world that actually encompass such an enormous viewership i mean to be fair when i did my uh, album in nashville the thing is 
the Americans couldn't believe when I told them how I got my deal, you know, and I said, well, I sang in front of 350 million people and represented my country and we won. And, yeah. and you know, the single became the biggest selling single in Ireland for 10 years. And it was, a, you know, it was a really big deal. And, and they were like, oh my gosh, you know, these were pretty famous <laughs> people. And they never sung to that amount of people, you know, so yeah. you just kind of go, well, that's okay then. I can say I did that, you know. So I think being successful from it is very much down to what you want from it. And, you know, I, I have often probably one of the most often questions past you know what was it like to when your vision was you know how do you I had one um, uh, media outlet asked me basically how did I view my lack of success you know since winning your vision and I said well let's see now I've been recording and uh, doing what I want in the music industry for you know all of my life I still choose what I want to do I'm still doing it at my age uh, very successfully and at a very high standard I have a very happy marriage and family I still yeah. tour I still make my money from it. what part of my life is not successful for you because I just because I'm not massively famous I think there's a lot of people who are successful from Eurovision but just because they're not they're all basing it on ABBA you know or that level of success doesn't mm. mean that you're not successful beyond it I think it just depends on what you want from the industry itself yeah, I think so. I think I think uh, Eurovision's taken a cult status. You'd see, like, oh, it's you know, amazing now. Yeah, it's cult. It's like it's, it's proper stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It's like and and the songs. It's it's about the 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 the, the fun uh, element of the show, like the wacky kind of different yeah. acts, like you know, yeah. uh, a Finnish band or a heavy metal <laughs> band won it. You know, come on. And Dust Dustin tried to do something, but they didn't get the joke. He was in a trolley. Yeah. Was, uh, but you're listening, you listen, know. I'm a dub, and it was hard enough to understand the parody. <laughs> I'm an yeah. enormous Dustin fan, right? You Absolutely, know, me too. And you know, I was, I was like, my mother was all incensed. She rang me, said, "Oh my God, can you believe they sent that?" I said, "Mom, did you vote?" And she said, "No, I didn't vote." I said, "Well, then you sent it too, so get supporting it because yeah. that's what you did. So if you care more." just vote yeah. i know i come across it you know people always ask me about dustin when i'm out in europe they say oh my god they were highly offended and i was like what are you offended by it was a parody you know yeah. it, it was dublin humor it was mm. probably never going to travel outside of dublin no. you know really but you know and the speed that he was singing it at you know really was never going to survive it i mean i got some serious credit with my kids because you know i was on the the toilet lid my photo was on the toilet lid at the <sighs> You know the thing that I I still love that yeah. I love Dustin I I you I won't let anybody say a bad word about it you know because yeah. because you know I just think we sent it you know and that's it and we all thought that was hilarious because yeah. we didn't really cared about Eurovision but actually we really did exactly I I think I think the good days were were great and then we realised. At the end of the day, cream rises as well. I mean, you need a good a good song. Look, Jedward, for example, fair play to them. They had a, a, a wacky European buzz about them, and they loved them over there. Okay, they didn't win, but of course, hard to win these days. You know what I mean? Yeah, but you know, I don't think you have to win. I don't think you have to win. This is okay. the thing. I've, I've been to two, right? Yeah. And I won one, didn't win the other. But, you know, I'm as proud of It's For You as In Your Eyes because yeah. we still performed well. We got a great response from the people mm. In general, I mean, the thing is, we could have been 11th on everybody's list and got no points. Do you understand? That's that's yeah. all you need to be just outside the top 10. And back in the day when there was only 20 countries, that was probably a lot easier to stay in the top 10. Nowadays, there's like 40 countries. Yeah. <laughs> so what's the chances, <laughs> you know, that you're yeah. going to hit unless you're hitting the zeitgeist, like something like the Icelandic, you know, the greatest Eurovision entry that that winner shall we say the greatest Eurovision winner that never won right let's be honest right mm. 
that song. You know, the thing is, you know, unless you hit that zeitgeist, it, it's really quite difficult to get beyond the social voting, as I would call it. There's an element of political, but I think it's mostly social. You know, yeah. they, they recognize what they recognize and you're, it's hard not to kind of respond to it. But you're right. It always in the top five or 10 are, yeah. you know, they may not be your, because there's lots of different churches in Eurovision. So there's people who like the ballads and they like the kind of thing, but those still at the top will be the better songs and, yeah. you know, and the better performances. And so therefore it's, I don't think you have to win. You see, the thing is I got an enormous amount of work afterwards. I got a lot of respect for doing it and a great sense of achievement in doing it. You know, there's a different winner every year, you know, yeah. so I mean, we are special, but to be fair, to be part of the Eurovision community, you only have to actually put your toe in. You only have to be part of the community. You don't actually have to win it, you know, to be yeah. popular. There's lots of non-winners who are still probably more popular than some of the winners in this, in yeah, this I'd in say the so. among the fans. And now that is so to me, it's not an automatic entry, but it kind of is, you know, you're kind of part of the whole community, how you embrace it deals with how successful you are within it you know and that's the way I would look at it so I had a really brilliant time doing it both times it would have been lovely we qualified which was unusual but you know the thing is I think to be fair we spend a lot of time worrying about what might win Eurovision and mm. I think we need to stop it I think we just need to go this is what you know this is what we love we represent this is what really represents us and also people need to get off their high horse and recognize the, of the platform that it is and stop dissing it you know as songwriters and performers stop dissing the eurovision you until you're in it you don't know what the hell that you're talking about and if you really have a criticism about it then just man up and bloody put something in that you feel should but they don't want to be judged they just don't want to be judged and mm. you know that's that's okay but you know that so stop whinging about it then <laughs> you know either do something or don't you know that's it what was it like going back to in 2010 that must have been a different world you know when we went back into you went, went back yeah into quite a long time yeah, 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 a, lot, yeah, yeah. a lot of questions about whether i had botox and all that rubbish and <laughs> um, yeah, you know which made me laugh you know because quite frankly no yeah, yeah. No, definitely no uh, Botox in life. Uh, um, but actually, uh, yeah, I was 42 when I went back, which is kind of a funny old thing, you know, and mm. I loved it. I actually loved it. I really did. It was great crack. It was longer, obviously, because it's nearly two weeks long now, you oh, know, yeah. and my rehearsals were still at bloody 10 o'clock in the morning. Like, you know, wouldn't give me a break, like give me the afternoon, maybe like a swan in. But I did get to go to Oslo, which was fun. And I did a lot more promotion across Europe before, which was unusual. You didn't do it back in the 90s, but you definitely did it in 2010s, which was really fun because I got to meet a lot of the contestants then before we actually hit the ground running. And you tend to get to know some countries better than others because they kind of turn up. It's much longer. In essence, to me, Eurovision was exactly the same because... Uh, you start off as contestants, you're all there with your three minutes and whatever it is, and you still have to stage it. You still have to do the thing. Um, the big difference, of course, was the the track as opposed to orchestra, which is the thing I miss most, I suppose, really. Um, I felt it was, this, in essence, the same thing. Uh, you know, it was much bigger, obviously, much longer, lots more people involved, but it was still the same. It, you know, essentially, we're all there doing what we do for the three minutes and representing what we do. And the fans were loving it. And then lots of people in, there was 20,000 people in the auditorium in Oslo against the 3,000 they did in the thing. Mm. But I had been to quite a few Eurovisions before that, obviously, because it was in Dublin quite a lot. So um, I went to all the subsequent ones after I won. So 
I was at them in one capacity or another. So I was kind of used to the kind of size of it. I, I just think, you know what, people say there's big changes and there are changes because it should change. It, if it doesn't change, it'll die. And I don't want that. I don't want to go talk about this mythical thing that nobody knows about. You know, it's one of the few things that are surviving at this level, you know, this big thing. And I think it's actually... If it's possible, it's now even gaining more momentum, I think, in this decade. It just seems to have caught the zeitgeist and they're doing the American song and that's whatever that is over there. You know, but there's you can see oh, okay. there, you can see that it's really gaining momentum in its own status in its own way. And I think actually the way they dealt with it over COVID was phenomenal, you know, so they because that was a potential place where it could have died. But I think people refocus in and I really love that. I love that energy and I'd love to see it a bit more here, too, you know, and in Ireland and, and across, you know, so it's that kind of element. But actually, you know, your vision in essence is still the same. We all go in with our songs. We all meet each other generally by the end of the week we all want everybody else to win and ourselves of course but you know it's that kind of thing it's about the performance and about doing something big and there's still the excitement about the voting which has got even more exciting now because the public vote completely changes it and you know it does, it's like it does, yeah, you know yeah. and the juries so then there's that whole debate which the debate is are the juries still relevant yes i do think they're there they, they are definitely still relevant and then on top of that we have the next stage, which is basically, um, you know, the, the one thing I, I really miss, I suppose, the very big difference was the lack of real musicians. So I do miss that because I come from a live area and I like live musicians. So I'm not saying it would necessarily have to be an orchestra every time, but, you know, essentially the orchestra is what you're missing. But but then modern music is what it is and it's moved on. And the wonderful thing is that the, the songs often represent much more about what's happening in the world, maybe not on our chart, but definitely charts around the world. And so that makes it very exciting. I think it just makes it really exciting and progressive as a place. And hopefully that'll mean eventually people will be much more inclined to engage in it. Yeah. Now you've, you know, you've, you've kept some like connections like you do you work with a junior uh, Eurovision yeah what was that like oh it was hilarious actually when they first came to me about junior Eurovision TG Akahar came to me right and I got a bit of a shock like they rang me up and said oh we'd love you to do this and it would be great and I said oh that's brilliant I said oh what a great idea the next generation doing the junior what a fantastic thing uh, I'd love you know totally right up my street you know definitely is it going to be a positive thing absolutely very positive experience and it is incredibly positive great for kids yeah, so we're going to do it all in Irish names. So you've got to speak Irish all the way through. Holy God, I hadn't spoken Irish in 30 years. I hadn't been in school, like uh, since I was at school. I said, are you mad? Uh, right, okay. So I spent the summer learning lots of Irish phrases and, and doing a lot of prep work. And so the first year junior vision, I did all five shows. And I had to, I tried, I didn't want to just say Mohan Colleen for every one of them, you know, or Mohan Bukul. I wanted to be able to say more. So this wonderful girl in TJ Cahar rang me up on the phone and we just practiced Irish things. And I asked her how to say things and I did a lot of prep work so they laughed because every year I take out my folder and I get some of the phrases out of it so I can use it I can talk in Irish and English now uh, I think it's a brilliant thing I think it's a brilliant thing because they get a sense of what Eurovision is they get to young people get a very positive area to go in and compete and just be involved on that level of stage because it is quite phenomenal how they stage it it's really brilliant and I love to see that not just in the Eurovision area, but I like to see young people being encouraged to be creative and to have platforms to go out beyond that. So I think it's a brilliant thing. I, I'm all about the positive experience. Don't get me wrong. I can be as bitchy as the rest of them and I can be <laughs> sharp and all that. Oh, and of course, I, yeah. no doubt. 
I can get the good uh, the good humor out for that. But I still believe that it music and creativity should be encouraged in a very positive way. Definitely, without mm. a doubt, especially in the young people. Young people should understand that competition is a healthy thing. It's a very healthy thing. It, you, but you're basically in competition with yourself to do the best thing. I like to own my own light, but I yeah. don't need to, I don't need to own yours in order to have it. You know, and that's such a really fantastic thing. I think we're told competition is a, is a bad thing, but it really isn't. It's I think it's nice to have things to focus and strive towards and push yourself. You know, so yeah. I think it's brilliant. I love it. And I visit Eurovision itself in one form or another during the year. So, for instance, I'm doing a concert um, uh, very soon with uh, Linda, Charlie, Paul, Johnny, Dana and the Secret Garden. And, you know, the thing is, I nearly always find something in the year that will allow me to fall into their orbit somewhere because we all live in different spaces in music, but we actually have one thing in common and we're very fond of each other and we love yeah. getting together and have the crack. And a few good few years ago, we did a tour, six of us. Um, uh, Emer was having her smallies at the time, so obviously she couldn't do it. But, you know, we essentially did a winner's tour and we had such a laugh doing it. You know, everybody thought we were going to be killing each other, but actually we got on really well and we're very supportive of each other as a group. So Linda has this night she's planning for support. And so she rang me and of course, Linda rings me, I do it because she's a great girl. You know, I just wanted, I love to see them. And so... The last time I saw the guys like Linda, Ch Charlie and Paul and myself got together on the late late. And that's kind of the last time I really saw them. And it was very emotional because it was during the second lockdown and COVID. And it felt very emotional for us even to be doing it. And it was a beautiful segment, but I'm really looking forward to having the crack and just really enjoying the concert, you know, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of fans there. So it'll be great fun. You know, there's that element. And where is that going to be or when's it going to be? It's going to be in the Pro Cathedral. It's actually next Monday, so I don't know when oh. this goes out. But, you know, we're actually out on the uh, on the 26th of April. So, you know, there's that element of that. But we will be doing another concert. I just, there might, there's rumours, there might be an orchestral one, like the orchestra sometimes does one in the National Concert Hall. Mm. And so they're talking about doing one in October, but I don't, that's not firmed up yet. But there's nearly always something that happens yeah. where we get together and we do love it. We we do love it. The crack is 90 and then we'd be winding each other up. We sing songs that we should have no business singing. And it's, it's like, it's great crack. Like, I just love it. I just, I just think it's great. It's a very unifying thing for us. You know, it's like a wee touchstone while we, then we all go off and do whatever else we do. I love it. And I think the fans love it too, because we're always kind of funny together, you know, so it's kind of good. Now, what about this year's Eurovision? I know it's in, it's in Turin, Italy. Are you yes. going to be at home? Are you going to go over? Oh, no, I'll be home. I don't tend to go to the Eurovisions unless they're in Dublin. Like, let's yeah. be honest, you know, it's yeah. too expensive to go. One day yeah. I'd like to go. Like people always say, will you ever do Eurovision again? I can't say never say never. Like, I don't necessarily. There's too many young, wonderfully talented people for it to be going to Eurovision. They don't need to roll us out every single time. <laughs> However, if I get invited or I, I've always said I'd love to go back as part of the delegation, but not the singer. So I could have mm. the crack because, you, you know, you have to be so good when you're the singer. You, know, you can't be going out and having the pints uh, so I would love to go as part of the delegation you know have a role in it I mean as in you know maybe co-write or do something in it I would love to do that for the crack I don't think I'd like to go as a fan I think that would be too hard work for me you know but I think definitely I'd love to go as part of the delegation and be part of the support network for it it would be amazing and then I could hang with the fans and we could have uh, the crack so uh, I think I would love that. This year's Eurovision is exciting. You know, there's a lot of great, there's a lot of kind of interesting thing. There's obviously the potential that Sweden could catch up with us for the, the most wins. But every year this conversation happens. 
every single year they keep saying Sweden's going to, I mean, there's an inevitability that Sweden are going to win the same amount as us because they are probably the most prolific songwriters involved in it and probably producers. Yes. So they, and they take their selection process very seriously. Mm. It's not just about the performer. It's also about the singers themselves. And it's, you know, it's very much about the song and all that sort of stuff. So it's really well done. So I think that's it. There's inevitably whether it'll be this year. I don't think it's as cut and dried. I don't. I don't think there's any one thing that's jumping out at me. Um. So I'll be really interested to see. I'll probably watch it at home and throw a bit of popcorn at the screen, which I love. And <laughs> um, I'm actually, for once, I'm not actually working the night of Eurovision, which is great. So I'm hoping to be like safely ensconced um with a couple of friends and having and enjoying it as a fan just the same as anybody else but then work can happen so I might be doing usually I'm working and I watch it the next day or I get the kind of rundown before I finish the the gig or something but I do like to kind of catch up and I do like to watch it because I nearly always get a phone call what do you think of that Neve? (laughs) (laughs) and I have to have an opinion (laughs) yeah and there's this the the girl Brooke is is uh is is our this year is yeah and it's a very poppy song i yeah. i don't want to compare because we'll always compare and i like i mean i don't you probably do it yourself but you go to a gig and you go, ah, it's kind of similar vibes that person but it's got a poppy kind of feel but i yeah. feel it's very it's going to hit european ears yeah. better but i, I don't know i don't know whether it's gonna it's gonna up, be enough yeah I don't, you don't, don't know because i think seems to be selling these days for sure oh 100 but i have to say i think when you look you for me you think you start off thinking a certain thing and you watch yeah. all these things across and, and everybody's watching videos and, and quite a lot of people are more engaged in it in that way in the sense mm. of you know which is great because that means the young people are more engaged in it and that's what you need to keep it alive but the thing is you know i always say that the big stage is a big leveler so when they go on that stage it's what they do in that moment it can be make or break you know sometimes that can elevate you a little bit now you nearly always have an inkling of what is coming in this year I'm not sure that there's a clear thing. There's no clear chatter. That when I looked at the selection across, I'm going, actually, there's nothing that's going, that's the winner, you know? And the last few years has been kind of quite a strong, oh, that could be the winner. You know, there's maybe two or three that you kind of go, oh, yeah, they could be really strong. Um, I think Brooke could do very well. You just, if she hits the right zeitgeist, if yeah. people really respond to her, she seems to be doing well on the kind of promotion track around, but you don't really know till the night. And it really depends on how they stage it and how, how she deals with the big stage. But she seems very confident. Yeah. And she sings well and she's got a great, and it's kind of a vibey song. It's the kind of thing that's on it your, is, it, is, it gets yeah. in on you a bit. And yeah. I'm really excited for them. And do you know what mm. really excites me more is that that somebody young and engaged is in it and it's a bit of crack and the people are really involved in it and that's what we want we don't need to be trotting out the same thing all the time you just somebody going and representing who they are that's what you want so even if she doesn't win on the night doesn't matter if she just goes up and does a good performance that's what we want because at the end of the day only one country wins it but we still talk about the other countries yeah yeah you do you do (laughs) absolutely now you talk about some gigs anymore you were talking about what the illegals yeah any any gigs coming up in the next few months you want to Talk oh about. yeah quite a few quite a few things coming Talk up about. i'm i'm doing lots of different varied things because this is my life some days i have my eurovision coke on and then i do a band <laughs> which is eagles and fleet and mac i do oh, yeah, yeah. great it's seven piece band we do theaters around we'll be in dublin a couple of times and a few other places and you just keep an eye out first we know we'll be doing all sorts of stuff and um i'm also doing some work myself on some recordings i um also have 
um, a few kind of gigs kind of planned. I do kind of a thing called date night, which is me and my husband. We kind of play by guitar. It's kind of a sojourn between 34 years of gigging and all the stories that I tell about that. And also, um, you know, there's there's lots of potentials and I have a few kind of interesting things happen, you know, in the next uh, part of the year. The other thing is obviously next year I'll be 30 years since I won. So oh, yeah. I may do something to kind of stamp mark that i'm not 100 sure i have a little enter again why not <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm also doing my own podcast you know uh, yeah i know that yeah with gareth Farley, i love i love gareth Farley. i've seen him um oh, first time i seen him was international bar and he's just got such a natural because i'm from he's from a big family i'm from a big family you can connect yeah. with him he's just really kind of just he's got so much energy but he's, he's tight his comedy is so tight i love his stuff yeah he's like, a long time doing it you know yeah. and we were we've been friends a long time mm. i mean he was a fan originally he was only 14 when i met him first and now he's like yeah. i'm your old now mate yeah. and <laughs> he keeps playing on the fact that he's much younger than me but you know we were always looking for something to do together we kept waiting for somebody to pay us to do it and then that yeah. wasn't working oh, out, yeah. so we decided we're not a natural fit you know people are always surprised that we're mates but i just i i really get a sense of humor you know i most people who know me i i i'm very much about the sense of humor i like i like to see the humor in things and he really makes me laugh and so uh, we really enjoy the conversations we have and and the whole concept of us actually being qualified in any way to answer anybody's problems is like ridiculous like, but we, just, we enjoy <laughs> it we're, we're very into human beings so it's quite a, so most of it is me laughing at him to be fair but you know i'll get mm. an odd singer in you know an odd singer in but it's a it's great like and i love the podcast and i love the chats and I love the challenge of something different and something interesting and 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 the fact that somebody will listen because I do listen to a lot of spoken word I like a lot of podcasts mm. I like a lot of uh, audiobooks because I spend a lot of time listening to music for my job and for my passion but the truth is that there are periods where you don't really want music so if you've just yeah. come from a concert sometimes you're coming home you either want the silence or just somebody chatting to you I like that little chat yeah. <laughs> I love, I, and I love yeah. a podcast that feels like you're just listening to somebody having a conversation exactly like yeah 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 because exactly. I do that in pubs I don't know if you've ever done that where you're sitting there and somebody's having a better conversation behind you so you just listen yeah I, I'm on buses mainly I, I, I can't I, I have my, my, my antennas are up and I, I just I hear people's conversations some people just tell you more than you need to know I'm like okay yeah I love that I've got to tell me face as well people tell me things all the time and yeah. I love it and I just can't help it because I'm like, I'm in then. I'm in. Like, I'm going, oh, really? And yeah, I, I will ask the question. Like, I better yeah, hear it. <laughs> yeah, but do, do you have a trust me face, though? I mean, you tell yeah. them, would you trust me to hold the information kind of like secret? I know I do. I hold a lot of information. I I trust. I, yeah, you would. If you if I felt you didn't, it wasn't appropriate to go beyond, I wouldn't tell it. But, okay. you know, yeah. I, you know, but definitely, I don't know if I, I forgot to trust. Maybe they do. Maybe they do. Maybe they think Eurovision winners are all trustworthy. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, uh, or maybe, maybe it's just because I have that face. I have yeah. a like i have i have like you know you could tell your mommy anything like you know but it's a, yeah no it's a great thing i i actually i love that i love that kind of unguardedness and the general chit chat so yeah I, that's kind of really fun so i've been doing a lot of different things and we've been talking about doing some funny things that's beside that and yeah i don't know we i i, I like things that are challenging for me you know I, I do things to challenge myself. So I have a few ideas where I'd like to do now. I'm, I'm coming 55 next year. So I want to be doing something beyond that again. I mean, I'm not ready to get grown up yet, you know? So, 
you know, feels a bit young yet to be getting too grown up and, and you know, settling down. So do do different things. I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah, I've got, I've got a lot kind of planned. And as I say, the concerts are either myself or uh, the illegal. So it'd be great if people kind of come along. They'll get mm. more than they bargain for nine times out of ten. If you like the Eagles and Fleetwood Mac, the illegals are great, I have to say. I do. If you like that kind of music. Yeah. You know, so. I'll see what I can do. I'll definitely, because I, I, I like to, you know, follow up if I can. Like, I... I, I... I've had a guy called Daniel Bryan on, a comedian, and I've had, mm-hmm. I've I've been at his many of his gigs now since because it's a good way to make connections with people because yeah you know I've never met you and it's a good way to kind of like you know, down the line maybe go to a gig and, and maybe see you have a point or whatever you yeah. know just that kind of thing yeah. you know it's a nice way to kind of I know it is a nice way that. to kind yeah. of get a feel I mean yeah. you know yeah. I I'm just you know well I feel like we know quite a bit about each other now Shane yeah we do too much <laughs> I feel yeah yeah <laughs> I know it's good it's good it's been good yeah, a good no, it chat. Is. Yeah, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go very shortly. Yeah. Breath of fresh air. You've been really nice. Uh, oh, thanks. thanks for coming on for the chat. <laughs> no, I enjoyed it. It was very natural. To, to yeah. actually, nice, yeah. nice, interesting conversation. You know, it was more like a conversation, which I quite like. You know, yes. You know, and I think in a way that yeah, it's nice to have bullet points, but it is always much better when you know somebody's actually listening to what you're saying. Not, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you get yeah. much well, better yeah. stories when that happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I go into my treasure. I go searching for my special yeah. stories. Right, so, Neve. Yeah. I'm, go- I'm gonna let you go. Um, Thank hopefully, you. I'll see you soon. Uh, I might go to one of your gigs if I, if I get a chance. Yeah, chance. Great. Yeah, see you. Definitely. Right. Are you in the Civic at all, or? Uh, yeah, actually, we're in the Civic in June. I think actually the illegals are in there. If uh, I can, I'll, I'll go. I'll, I'll, whatever gig, I'll, I'll, whatever gig suits, I'll, I'll come along. Yeah. If, if, I, if I do get along, I might try to say hello and. I do. All right. Make sure you say hello if you're anywhere. I'm I, am. Okay. I will indeed. I will indeed. As I say, you know, you know too much about me now. Okay. <laughs> Find yourself. Bye. Right. Take it easy. See you. See it. And that was Neve Cavanagh. Neve Cavanagh again. That she was so, as I said, a breath of fresh air. So nice and just so full of energy. And just like again, she's a Eurovision Song Contest winner in 1993. She's co-host for podcast Agony Rants. She has a, such an experience in life and her music and her talent and experience and her art. Now, I hope you enjoyed the episode. My name is Shane. This podcast is called Heartlines. Remember, you're always welcome here on Heartlines. Take it easy and bye-bye.